This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Hone your development skills at learn.thoughtbot.com. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Rich Thornett. How are you, Rich? I'm good. How are you? Good, thanks. So one thing I saw that I thought was great, a quote from you, you said, I was plotting through Excel spreadsheets when the web came along and blew my mind. Where'd you, where'd you find that? I'm trying to remember where that would have shown up. Uh, I think this was some interview you did with maybe .NET Magazine or yeah, something okay. else. Um, yeah, I, uh, I kind of came to the web pretty late. Um, I had graduated from college with basically the, the web hadn't even really happened yet. I think there was email in my final statistics class or something that I took in college, and we used email to send you know, your homework back on a VAX or something like that. But it was really – and I hadn't taken programming in college, so – um, I was kind of headed toward a track of something vague like research, uh, go to law school, so- something. I really didn't have any particular notion. Just uh, I sort of knew what I'd studied in school, and, which was economics and philosophy, which was leading to a career about thinking about not having a lot of money at that time. Hmm. But uh, um, yeah, so I was doing you know research kind of assistant jobs at various. Um, I was at a think tank for a while, and then sort of another one after that, and you know, kind of helping academics with their work. It was fine, but it wasn't that inspiring. And, uh, yeah, and so in about 95, I guess, things started taking off. Mosaic and then Netscape got big. And it was funny to me, like, that I was at this place with a bunch of MIT, you know, high-power think tank guys are doing reports on um, engineering of cities and, and, you know, tech for the future, and they're kind of writing these, these big papers. And they were all, like, absolutely stoked when one of the guys, you know, put up a, a basic HTML web page, you know, that just had, like, a couple links to the people at the office. And they thought that was, like, the greatest thing ever. And mm-hmm. so, you know, it was really exciting at the time just to see that, you know, anyone could kind of just create something and have it be public and followable. Um, so, I don't know. There was just so much uh, energy at the time, I think, around the web and just the idea of getting up your stuff, you know, live and, and in front of people. Uh, so that immediately became a lot more exciting than my spreadsheets. And <laughs> I literally, I was in uh, North Carolina at the time, uh, working at a place in uh, Research Triangle Park, and, and literally just decided to, you know, take a programming class at the local technical community college, I guess. And then as soon as possible, I had been there just about a year, I ended up applying to graduate school at something called the uh, School of Information Science in University of North Carolina. And uh, that was a really undefined kind of program. I think that it stemmed from library science because they, they saw a need for more sort of information technology, but I don't think they quite knew where that was going yet. Right. Um, but I think there were a lot of people like me who were just attracted to the idea of, of getting into the web and, and sort of discovering some sort of career there. And... Uh, for me, it was per. I like to this day. I don't even know what that degree is supposed to be about. But but for me, it was perfect in that I just got immersed in everything. You know, everything I could find. Um, they had classes on like how does a database work, um, how do search engines work. Um, they also said some sort of I guess less technical stuff, and I tried to sort of opt out of a lot of that that was more library focused. Not not that it wasn't good content, but it just wasn't what I was looking for. Um, you know, I ended up getting into like the Java web program classes and the computer science program by writing some letters. Took a GIS class, uh, even networking. So, you know, what what can I learn to get, you know, to start building applications? Because to me, that was really exciting, the idea of building an app for the web that could scratch some itch that I had. And so my my graduate project coming out of that program was to write a fantasy football league app mm-hmm. for the 12 guys I was in a league with, which um, which is actually, I mean, it was pretty bad code looking back at it. But uh, I, I'm sort of proud of it in the sense that 
you know, I put a ton of time into it. You know, I had a like a live updating uh, football app before ESPN did. You know, like it was mm. just Pearl scripts were running in the background, you know, and getting grabbing score box scores off their site. And so we we're getting live updates on Sundays and stuff. It was just a blast, like putting that together, trying to think through all the pieces of a, of a real time kind of application. You know, it was a hodgepodge of different technologies. I mean, it was a disaster, co-rise, and, and, and I would look – if I saw it today, I'd probably throw up. But um, it was so much fun to build. I learned so many different things. It was just really exciting to have that sort of period of my life, about a year and a half, where I got to just kind of do nothing. Like, I took classes, but really I was in the computer lab all day, and it was kind of this immer- complete immersion mm. that, um, you know, today now, even though I'm pretty active at the business at Dribble, it's hard to imagine, like – um, having that kind of time again to just sink into something and get to really try mm-hmm. to learn every every nook and cranny of something. I'm, I'm sort of jealous of folks who, who do have that time. It's such a luxury. It really is. And uh, so take advantage of it when you're – I mean, and it could go for anything, right? It doesn't have to be programming, but oh, sure. um, travel, whatever whatever you're into. But um, I think that period in your 20s is really uh, a luxury that, that you don't want to waste. So I don't know whether I put it to the best use uh, – to be determined, but it was certainly exciting to sort of just get get immersed in all that technology, and then the boom followed that in the late '90s. Mm. Um, so it was really good timing in that it was you know very easy to get a job coming out of there. I worked at IBM for a year doing um, sample apps on their WebSphere product, which really dating myself saying this stuff, but uh, you know, so it was a big. It was their never first, heard of this IBM. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm actually curious if people even know what WebSphere is at this point, but. Um, it, or do you, you really not? No. Oh wow! Um, I mean, it was. It, it, I'm really dating myself, but it was a big deal. I mean, it was it was the one of the first app servers that people were running web apps on, uh, and it was a big deal in that it was supposed to be like this is the future. This is how everybody can run applications on our web server, and everything was sort of headed toward Java at that point. Mm-hmm. Even though PHP had gotten a lot of traction because it was free and easy to get running with, um, people thought Java was going to be the answer on the server, and, and to some extent it has. But, um, but yeah, so it was exciting to just sort of just get in, you know, to an environment like that. But after a year at, I guess it was there about nine months, contracting at IBM, and then just decided to kind of up and leave and go to Europe for a couple of months. And um, once I came back from that, I kind of thought that, I'd rather work on something smaller and at a startup and had gotten contacted by a guy locally who was trying to do something small with three people. And so I ended up just leaving for that. And uh, we were trying to build kind of a way to kind of almost like a mini Yahoo for a particular type of, you know, research kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It was just that was so much more exciting to me. I think ever since I've worked at some big places and some small places, but I've always, always really enjoyed the small stuff where I've had a much bigger role, I guess, on the product side of things. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, now that I'm working on Dribble today, I think that's really what's exciting to me. And I would hate to kind of ever go backward and, and work at a place where it didn't have that kind of influence on the product. Right. And that's you sort of have gone uh, all the way in that where you started it with two people. Yeah. It's hard to have more influence than that. That's pretty small. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, and that was sort of an accident. The whole Dribble thing was um, really just a way for me to work with. Uh, so Dan Cedarholm is my neighbor, and that's how we met. Um, we had kids around the same time. We live mm-hmm. in the same town, a few streets uh, away from each other. You're in Salem? Right? In Salem, Massachusetts, yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of knew he was around. I think our wives had met at uh, you know a kids' event or something when we both had small children. And uh, so I knew of him. I knew he'd written books. And it was exciting to me that it was a designer in town that was a potential collaborator, you know, so I sort of stalked him for a bit where I just wanted to kind of 
meet him and talk shop and just see if there was ever a chance to, you know, kind of be together and talk about the web and maybe work on something even someday. So we ended up through kind of that initial friendship uh, working together. I was at a place called Patients Like Me in Cambridge. They're still around. And they had a work at home policy a couple days a week. And uh, I ended up sort of squatting at his office because he and he had been sort of contracting independently for a long time and didn't really, uh, you know, it was just him. So I think he was he enjoyed having someone around, hopefully enjoyed having someone around. And uh, so we just, you know, worked in the same space for a while and, you know, inevitably kind of talk shop. And I think it turned out that we had pretty similar sensibilities about the web and what we liked and a sense of sense of minimalism and you know, we weren't really collaborating on a project yet, but it was fun to have that sort of voice around to, to bounce ideas off of. And uh, eventually, we he had an idea for, you know, what became Dribble, which was basically the idea that you know, he had lots of colleagues in the industry. He was doing speaking and books at the time. And, uh, you know, he said, wouldn't it be nice to know what they were up to, what they were working on mm-hmm. uh, when I don't see them at the conferences and stuff. So um, that became sort of the seed of the, the Dribble idea. And I confess at the time, I didn't really care much. I mean, the idea was fine, but it was really more about just like, let's just build something and, and, and have fun doing it. Mm-hmm. But I think, and I, did, I honestly, I didn't really get the sort of power of the idea until we, because uh, most of my testing and development, I'm uploading like pictures of my kids and my cats and stuff. And while I like that stuff, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make for a compelling app necessarily. But once, uh, once we sort of launched a beta and had real users and, uh, he had a lot of really interesting people in his personal network that we invited as our initial user base. Mm-hmm. And we even tried to go, you know, a little little bit extra where we were literally like, you know, doing hand-printed invitation letters. You know, you get codes in the email. This was sort of hand-printed code that was only four digits so you could remember it. We sent everybody a T-shirt because mm. uh, Dan is very into T-shirts. And, uh, and again, we didn't have any idea this would be a thing, you know, but, but we just thought, you know, let's just have fun with this. We'll do it right. We'll spend a little money on T-shirts. And so people actually came and they checked it out and they uploaded work. And I think once I saw, you know, interest, like guys like Sean Inman and, you know, Jeffrey Zeldman and, and um, Dave Shea, you know, these are some of the early guys who were posting stuff at the site. And as soon as I saw the work, I was like, wow, this is actually pretty great. You know, like I love getting a window into what these people are doing. Mm-hmm. And it was compelling. And I think, I think as the, the work came in, I think the people on the site were just sort of probably checking it out as a professional courtesy. We're like, this is kind of cool, actually. You know, I, I like seeing this stuff. Sean Min in, in particular is kind of a savant in a lot of different things. But, you know, he was just posting a lot of sort of sequential um, sort of instances of shots of a game he was building. And it was just, like, really fascinating to, to follow the progress of this game, uh, this Mimeo game that he, I think he ended up scrapping that, but must have uploaded, like, you know, 60 or some screenshots of it. it was, uh, to me, it was just incredible to see his process as he went through the, um, the application. Mm-hmm. So... We were in this kind of closed beta at the time, and uh, it kind of picked up steam where, you know, these folks are posting, and then we invited some more folks and let the people we had invited in, in turn invite others, and that's kind of how we work today, um, where we got, you know, I guess a critical mass of people who thought it was interesting and a mass beyond that that had heard about it but couldn't see it. And, uh, you know, we weren't really planning it this way, but that turned into a big thing like where people were like i can't get in but i I need to get in like this is this sounds cool and i can't see it and now i'm upset that i'm not there and i desperately want to get in and i help i think that helped kind of build some notoriety for the site Mm -hmm. and i I wish i could say we you know planned it that way but it was more just like we're two guys on the side we don't want to deal with scaling or or a lot of spam that's not really why we built this thing it was more for fun right and while we've had to build a lot of 
scaling and spam detection sort of stuff. Since then, we still have this, most people get in through the invitation system, and, uh, and it protects us to this day in the sense that we can track, you know, where somebody came from and, and how they got there and limit growth in that sense. So I think it's always been kind of, a, you know, it, it does exclude people in the sense that no one can just, you know, not anyone can just sign up. But I like that it's at least somewhat meritocratic where, you know, people who are members of the community, and I think because there is a scarcity, I think they feel some sense of obligation to try to keep things the way they like it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and sort of... Um, keep the ethos alive. And when, so when they use invitations, I think they, they try to put some thought into who they'd like to share it with and who they, mm. whose work they want to see and um, the kind of people they'd like to you know, be on the site with. So I think that helps keep a sense of what, what the site is about. It's interesting. You often see when sites grow, the old guard complains that the new people, yeah. you know, they, don't, they don't get it or they're doing it wrong and, or they shouldn't be there. And I think having an invitation system like that might help you know, squelch some of that. It definitely helps. We still get a lot of those complaints, and mm-hmm. there have been a few waves of that now because the site is, you know, even though it's not huge, it's orders of magnitude from where it used to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've gotten lots of those old guard, new guard complaints. But it's funny how, you know, one of the common complaints is that Dribble's, you know, only about the popular people. I think driven by the fact that we have a, a popular page, it does show what's sort of well-liked at the moment. And um, I think that criticism is reflects that, like, People sort of looking at that page but not seeing past, like, all the stuff in the site. Like, we, we see that page as, like, a trending thing. As, and maybe we should have named it trending and solved a lot of problems for ourselves. Because trending, I think, conveys this sense of objectivity. You're just showing what's trending. Whereas I think when we called it popular, people sense that we're blessing the content as the best stuff on Dribble or something. And right. some of it, I mean, a lot of it's very good. But our intent really was just to say, hey, you know, this happens to be popular right now. And it's mm-hmm. not necessarily better or worse than anything else. But... Um, this is what we're, you know, what we're seeing that, that's popular at the moment. So at this point, I don't know that we would just change it because I think it's, it's such a polarizing thing at this point. Yeah. It's sort of like good and bad. You know, it's, it's very, people want to know what's on that page, but we actually like the sort of the idea of exploring your own network and finding your own people that you're mm-hmm. interested in want to follow, more mm-hmm. sort of a, a Twitter model there. But um, I don't know. We may be far enough along where it's kind of hard to rip that page out without really angering a lot of folks. Yeah, um, you said, uh, I have a quote, which is, I've toyed with the idea of removing the popular <laughs> page altogether, but I'm not sure I'd survive the riot that ensued. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It, I think it's there for a while. I will say our goal, I think, with this site is to continue to build out more ways to explore the content there. Our hope is that in doing so, we you know lessen the... There will always always be attention on the popular page because people care who's popular. I think that's a social dynamic that you know, from high school through you know the rest of your lives, people are people are aware of that. But I want it to be really easy for people to say, you know, I, I realize that's there, but I, I so many other avenues I can I can use to explore the site and find a group of people that are sort of like up my alley. So mm. we haven't we haven't gone as far as I'd like to so far in that, but we're actually trying to release a lot more sort of advanced search stuff, actually, I think this week, hopefully, and then take that further into sort of exploring activity within your network, which I think will really help um, with these sorts of issues, where if you have a good core network, you can then go a little deeper into the network and find the stuff that may be more personalized to you. So I think that kind of effort to, to build in that direction can help with some of the other criticisms. But yeah, I mean, the, the popular page will always be sort of this divisive thing, but it's, I don't know, it's our front, mm. <laughs> it's our masthead at this point for the, sure. for the, new, the newcomer, I think. So yeah. it's hard to get rid of it. You classify yourself or you describe yourself as leading software development and product design at Dribbble. 
And I saw in another interview, you had a definition of product design that I really liked. You said, I'm not good at visual design in the sense of choosing specific colors or type. So I never thought of myself as a designer. But in every role I've had, I've been obsessed with copy, information design, feature selection, page layout, visual weight, messages and signals conveyed to users, application form and function, and business models. This, to me, is product design. I really liked that distinction. <laughs> I think you uh, wrote that as opposed to saying that, <laughs> I'm guessing. Yeah, I, I, I'm not usually that articulate. But, yeah, um, right. but yeah, I mean, I guess I, I agree with myself, I guess, in the sense that – and you'll hear like a lot of this stuff like when you hear Steve Jobs talk – and I'm not comparing myself to Steve Jobs. But when you hear him talk about product design, you know, he's, he, I think he talks a lot about decisions and intersections between concerns and stuff like that. And to me, that's you – know, for like what I do at Dribble and what I enjoy doing – it's a lot of trying to figure out these pieces that we have. We've got a technology piece and we've got a design piece and we've got what we're trying to do with the site, what's good for users, what we want to do as a business. And uh, there's interplay between all of that. And that, to me, the fun is like trying to figure out like, well, what should we build next and how hard is it going to be? And, you know, then we need design for that. What should that look like? You know, who's going to take a stab at building the feature? And then there's going to be a layer of polish later, but what's the core of it, you know? And and then when we get the polish on it, you know, who's going to be the critic that says, you know, I don't, you know who's the editor, I guess, after the fact that right. kind of goes through it and says, you know, I think this is, doesn't have enough emphasis and this has too much. And do we care about that? Can we get rid of it? So there's all these kinds of constant decisions that get made. And I don't even know, like, honestly, I haven't, I, you know, in other, in other shops, I think different people play those roles. And, and a lot of times that's just sort of assume, you'll say I'm a designer and I guess you assume that maybe someone does all that. But I think there's just so much, such a spectrum of, types of decisions and design that that is made in a product and even at programming it's hard to say like if you're a programmer designer like what does that even mean because i think there's just so many different types of people who are better or weaker at the the low level stuff or the high level stuff Mm -hmm. so i think i'm more of like in the high level where i like to think about like application code and and how the app should work and and how it should feel to the user and what we're trying to accomplish with it. I really enjoy that kind of middle intersection between design and programming. Yeah. Um, Do you write code most days? I do. But the sad part is I I don't get to work on the product designy stuff as much as I'd like, only because, you know, I'm still sort of one of the main coders on the team. But honestly, I could see, like, the evolution of my role being, like, where I don't code. And I would miss it, but, like, someone else could probably code as well or better than I can. But it's at this point, like no one has this thing that whatever dribble is like loaded in their head in the same way that I do because I've been looking at it for four years. Mm. If we grow our team, like maybe the most value I could kind of provide to the company at that point would be to kind of try to coordinate and, and work more on product. Um, and there's even a lot of sort of business stuff that we've tried to do some of, but, you know, we, we just don't have the time to always push it as far as we can in terms of relationships with other people. So yeah, there's there's no shortage of stuff to do, but I, I really like that intersection of, of all the concerns. And uh, it's sort of the good and bad, too, of running a small operation, I think, because you get to do everything, but yeah. you have to do everything, you know. So we're transitioning a little bit from that two-person operation to, you know, now we're up to five and a half, really. And uh, so this year, I guess we'll see if we grow a little more, you know, what that looks like. It's kind of an unknown for us, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, been interesting. Hmm. Can you give us a high-level overview of the architecture of the app? It's a pretty vanilla Rails app. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. it's all the stuff that you typically see in a Rails app, I think. We run, you know, Rails 3, I don't know, 1.7 or something like that. Postgres database. We have eight app servers at this point. We run on Bluebox, which I'm not contracted relationship with them, but I've been very happy. They, They sort of specialize in 
Ruby and Rails stuff, and they have mm-hmm. a lot of knowledgeable people about how to host Rails apps and how to do Chef deployments and stuff. In the past year, I've hired a guy, Patrick Byrne, who's really got some Chef expertise and has really helped out with um, having a much more uh, efficient and documented in code uh, deployment process and operation stuff. He's been great. And then uh, on the application side, you know, we use, you know, Memcache and Redis. We use Redis for our background jobs, hmm. uh, or Rescue for background jobs. Uh, we haven't done a whole lot of interesting stuff yet with Redis. But I think with activity feeds that we want to do, we're going to sort of be wading into that world. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a lot of like partial caching in Memcache, which doesn't sound that exciting, but actually adds a lot of bang to your performance buck. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, what we what we follow is the, I don't know if you've seen a lot of the, the DHH kind of philosophy about key-based cache expiration, um, caching partials along those lines, you know, looking at life cycles of your, your partials and your objects and trying to speed up your app through doing as much of that as possible as opposed to more of a client-centric approach. We've, right. we've kind of taken that thus far in that I really prefer Ruby to JavaScript as a coding environment. And our legacy stuff is just, it's more in Rails. So it'd be a bit of an effort to bring it more to the client. It's pop, I mean, you'll see sites that are like Pinterest that do more on the front end, and we're we're in that vein a little bit. So it's possible that could change. Uh, and I should note, we're also blowing out the API, which hopefully will come sooner than later. And uh, our other developer, Tristan Dunn, who's actually a ThoughtBot alum, mm-hmm. uh, is working a lot on that. And he's been great. He does a lot of um, application code and JavaScript and uh, he's working on the API now, sort of taking a lead on that. So I don't know. Where, where the architecture goes, I guess, is to be determined a little bit in terms of um, would, would we use our own API to do more of that work. But today, it's kind of a standard Rails app, and we leverage a lot of Postgres stuff, too. I'm amazed at the amount of pretty comprehensive queries we can still hit the database with at scale. Not Twitter scale, but like a pretty good scale for a web app. We have a lot of users, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's really solid, and it's, it's really fast, and I've been so happy with it. Uh, I feel like it's sort of the under, it's not talked about enough, like how important a piece Postgres can be to a web app and how far you can take it before you really need to start thinking about other ways to scale. Yeah. So you've been working on sort of the same app for about four years, you said? Yeah, maybe a little longer. Are you tired of it at all? Uh, (laughs) I'm not tired of working on the app. I mean, there are other things that interest me, I Mm. guess, is probably a better way to put it. I'm not sick of Dribbble, though. Uh, And the the reason I'm not sick of it, I think, is because I tend to think you know, sort of the previous point about the product. I think there's just so much more to do with the product and the site and so many opportunities there. My interest, I guess, lies more in like what we can do with Dribble, the operation or the business and, and how far can we take that. Mm-hmm. And that to me is still really interesting. Um, so I guess I don't get bored with the code base too much. Whereas if you were sort of purely focused on that, maybe you'd want to do other types of stuff, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's still there's still a lot of potential and a lot of things to work on. I think we also have a ton of scaling work that we can do as we want to try to bring more users on and maybe open it up a little bit more than it is today. I think there are still challenges. Um, it's a little different, I think, than like the kind of shop you guys have at ThoughtBot where you're always sort of working on bleeding edge stuff. Like we just don't have the bandwidth. You know, we have to focus on other things. So we're not, we're not always playing with the latest and greatest of everything, but I personally am fine with that. And hopefully mm-hmm. I can keep my dev team <laughs> happy with that as well. Sure. What have you learned about uh, leading other developers or like running a team like that? Um, it's really hard. Uh, yeah. I'm sort of, I'm very introverted by nature and, and I hadn't had really, a, you know, I've been a lot of dev teams and it's sort of, had a lot of input on projects, but hadn't really led a team, you know, of people before. 
And um, one of the hardest parts to me is trying to figure out, like, especially that I'm still sort of an active developer on the project, is like how much time to spend on my own stuff versus trying to figure out how to get other people focused and directed on their stuff and what's, what's that split. And then the idea of like how do you, what's the best way on a really small team to communicate what we're trying to get done, what's priority. I'm a pretty low process kind of guy, so I don't want to introduce much if I can help it, but at the same time you need a little bit, I think, mm-hmm. um, to just communicate what's happening and what you're trying to do. So I guess the sort of explorations there, when right now we're using some sort of combination of Basecamp plus GitHub. GitHub issues is really actually kind of our store of uh, all the smaller stuff that we're working on, like mm-hmm. all of our tasks, but also getting a little bit into the project space and trying to manage projects through the issues there and, you know, with mixed results. So trying to figure out, like, what, what is the, you know, what's the best way to communicate, I guess, priorities and what we're working on and with the other developers has been has been interesting. I, I still feel like I'm fumbling around a bit on that. But um, for me, it's it's a good sort of growth kind of avenue where it's something I hadn't done before. And, uh, you know, it's it's good to learn. Yeah. From what I'm experiencing lately, it's anytime you're trying to lead a group of people to do anything, it's pretty much always hard. Yeah. I don't think everyone, anyone's ever been like, yeah, you know, what's really easy is managing people or like getting everyone to do the same thing. It's like, yeah, that's not. Just it's, never, it's amazingly it's hard and I feel bad like, I was often grumpy, you know, <laughs> the, the guy who kind of wanted to see something happen, you know, in, in a group and sort of feel like I feel a lot more sympathy to the, the people who had to listen to me in previous jobs. But mm-hmm. is the team remote? Uh, mostly remote. So Dan and I both live in Salem. We come into an office and then um, Tristan and Patrick are both remote. Tristan's in Louisiana and Patrick's in Minnesota. Uh, so we sort of joke that we hire only on the Mississippi River. But mm. and then. Susanna is our writer and also my wife, and she's uh, sometimes in the office, sometimes she's working from home or something. And then Sam is our uh, community manager, and he co- he used to come in more. He just had a baby, so he's kind of half and half at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but we operate pretty much as if we're remote in that even when we're in the office, we're pretty much communicating through Campfire at this point, mm-hmm. um, which I think has been really good because it makes the remote guys feel just as included as everyone else. And, and honestly, it works pretty well. When I was trying to hire a dev, I really wanted to hire someone local because it was only Dan and I, and I thought it would be great to have another body in the building and someone else to talk to. And So I tried that, and it didn't go very well in that uh, apparently there are a lot of other places you could work in this, <laughs> this area that are a little closer to downtown. Yeah. Um, so after, after I didn't really find anybody that way, I just kind of opened it up to remote. And said, Let's, actually, you know what? We found Tristan. Uh, we stumbled into him, and I'd kind of known of him through ThoughtBot, and I'd met him once, I think. And uh, we hired him, and he was working cr- as a contractor remotely, and that actually worked really well, where we felt the communication was good, and we were sort of surprised at how easy it was to kind of convey stuff. Mm. And uh, so when we ended up hiring him, I think, with the next hire, we said, you know, let's, let's do this. We can, it seems like we can make this work, and thus far, it's, it's actually gone really well. I've been surprised how easy it is. Mm. There have been a couple projects where things are more UI-centric, and you're trying to, like, talk about, you know, eh, is this working the way we really want it to work from a visual perspective? I think those have been a lot harder remote, and uh, so we, we're kind of discovering that, you know, cert- I think certain tasks lend themselves better than others to sort of not outsource, we're all on the same team, but to have a remote person looking at. And uh, I think it's sort of informed that maybe we need to do more work up front or, or on the front end before we get mm. dev involved with um, tasks that maybe have a little little more decisions to make about how they work on the front end. So we're, we're kind of learning that stuff along the way. But but for the most part, remote works, works really well for us, at least. Um, so I've been happy with that. Hmm. 
So what haven't we talked about that you're you're interested in? Oh, geez. I'm actually surprised you haven't asked me if Dribbble is ruining the design world. Is uh, ruining it? <laughs> well, they're Do you get accused of that? We do, a lot. Why is that? Because it's like it's too snapshotty. It's I, not. I think that's context. the the main criticism is that it's it's too lightweight or it's not substantive enough. Um, and I mean, I guess my response to that is, yeah, um, that that was that was the point. Not yeah, and that I agree that it's ruining the design world, but more that um, the intent was that Dribble would be really lightweight um, and that it would be very much like what Twitter does for, you know, sort of text, I guess, that we would be something very similar, but with visuals, so that you could really sort of quickly get a sense of what your, you know, your colleagues, your cohorts, or the people you're interested in were doing. Mm -hmm. So since that point, we have moved more into, I guess, kind of like the, you know, so the business model for Dribbble really is around, a lot of it is around connecting designers and employers. And that's, that's where we have a job board that's done well for us. And right now we have a really simple service where you sign up and you get to sort of search for designers by location and skills, and that makes money for us. So, you know, part of it is that you're actually finding people for hire through the site. And I think, I think the criticism there maybe is that, well, I can't, you know, designer can't express everything they're about through just some screenshots, which is valid. I mean, it's it's a valid point, but I mm-hmm. guess I don't think our intent and our hope is not that you would only use the screenshots as the basis for a job search. I think where they're really useful is that you can quickly get a sense of what a lot of people in a given location or, or you know, worldwide, if, if that's your search, you can get a sense of what a lot of different people, the kinds of things they're working on. I think you can that sort of comes through in a shot. A sense of style that can kind of come through with the visual really quickly. Um, and then you can, you know, put together a list of people to sort of explore at that point. So if mm-hmm. you can quickly identify 30 people in Boston who, you know, you're like, eh, something's going on there. I think they're interesting to me. I feel like that list, yeah, it doesn't tell you everything about them. And by no means are we guaranteeing that, like, they're all going to be a perfect hire for you. But I think that list is a great place to start. And then, you know, there's there's links to everyone's website, links to more of their work and their sort of what they've noted about it. If they have, you know, portfolios, a lot of them link through to that or a blog or whatever. So I think a lot of criticism is that you can't go to Dribbble and learn everything there is to learn about what a designer is about. And and I would sort of acknowledge that, but say I think that's a really hard thing to aggregate. I think our role is to be more of an aggregator where anyone can jump in. And if you're a designer, have a sort of constant awareness of what your peers are up to. And if you're a hirer, you know, be able to quickly find a bunch of people in your either network or location who might be interesting uh, to hire. And mm-hmm. then, yeah, you do have to do some legwork at that point to dig a little deeper. But like even in hiring programmers, for me at least, the hard part was finding the right people to even talk to. You know, like we spent a lot of time kind of posting a job and we put up a reward and all this stuff. And you're trying to get like names that look really interesting to you. Mm-hmm. Um, once you have the names, like you can ask them whatever you need to ask them and you can interview them. And, you know, like that part, I felt a little more comfortable. Well, there was some work to learn, like what's the right way to hire a remote employee. But at the same time, like I'd much rather take that challenge on. But, you know, finding the people who like I thought might be, you know, potential hires to me was hard. And uh, so I hope that we can play that role where, you know, we're, we're lightweight enough that it's easy to use and designers want to use it to kind of keep current, but that that also serves us in terms of being a good aggregator for hirers. You know, so to the criticism of like, there's not enough substance, I guess I would encourage people who, who say that to put more substance into the stuff on the site, but also that there's just, there's a lot of different ways at that point. I mean, there's a ton of links on anyone's sort of profile that you can follow to get more substance. And, of course. Um, so, I, you know, I like to think we're not ruining design, but... Um, <laughs> I don't know. It comes up a lot, so. 
<laughs> I like to think we're not ruining design. That's, that's hopeful. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So you mentioned wanting to grow. It seems like you want to grow the, t- the dev team this year. I think so. I'd like to. So we're not funded or any of that stuff. And uh, so we have to grow, you know, the old-fashioned way, which is through revenue. Ooh. So I know. It's Who does like that? It's like a crazy... We're, we're such an odd little beast in this world because we're, we're a social network that isn't funded and asks people to pay us, like ask our customers to pay us. And that's like, I'm, I'm not even sure I can think of another site like that. But, mm-hmm. So it's an odd little place that we live in. But um, we sort of believe, I think we believe strongly in that, like the idea of, not, not that nothing can be funded, but I, I love the idea of growing something from the ground up. Every dollar we make, we kind of earned in the sense that we convinced somebody that it was worth, you know, paying us for, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to kind of borrowing money and then um, hoping later that it that it that it makes sense. Mm-hmm. So from the perspective of growth, I think you know we hope to launch at least one more product and hopefully grow some of the stuff we have. One more product that's still associated with Dribble. Yeah, yeah, yeah but like a, a sort of a, an offering, I guess, through the site. Gotcha. And then and grow um, some of the other things. I think especially Teams to me has a lot of promise, which is the idea of just aggregating your designers and their work under your company's name mm-hmm. uh, on the site, so that your you know your company's just another account on Dribble, but you're getting sort of a, an aggregated stream of everything that's going on there. Um, we have an initial thing, but I don't think it's kind of we've teased out sort of the, the power of the idea yet mm-hmm. uh, as much as we'd like. But I think I just think it would be really great if you could go somewhere and see like all the companies that like I might want to work at or that might want to be hiring. Like, what are they building? Like, give me give me a quick hit on what's going on over there, you know, mm-hmm. and, and who works there and what do they work on? You know, what do they work on for the company? What do they work on uh, in their own time? Like, we have filters for all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I think it's a powerful idea just to be able to sort of quickly navigate and see like, you know, what are the design shops in Boston? What do they do? Who works there? What kind of projects and that sort of thing. So we'd like to kind of I think grow that. So if we can grow, you know, the the product offerings and revenue from that, I'd, I'd love to get at least one more developer in. We think, and I think that would sort of relieve some pain and, and allow me to maybe focus a little more on on product design stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see. I don't know. We'll see what the year holds. But I don't know. I I'm comfortable now with the remote thing, so I think we can actually work effectively that way now. Uh, so I think we can add another, at least another person this year. Cool. If people did want to apply, is it worth? Applying now, or are you going to post a job at later? If it, Apply for for it to to work at Dribble. Oh, oh, well, I'm, I'm not, I don't have a job up this second. Gotcha. But, uh, we got to do the revenue, and then we'll do the job. Fair enough. <laughs> we we got to work. So that stay way. tuned. Yeah, stay if you're tuned. Interested. Okay, cool. Well, I I really appreciate you coming by. Thank you. It's an honor. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com/giantrobots/91. Thanks for listening.